Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. This week, the twins will be sharing a two-part true crime story that spanned decades. Melissa will start by telling the story of Marlene Oakes, a young mother who went missing following a shocking revelation. Jackie will continue part two next week by revealing what happened to Marlene and how far her family will go to fight for justice. Please be aware that this episode will discuss violence, sexual assault, and pedophilia. Listener discretion is advised. everybody welcome back to you and that's creepy podcast you know who it is it's melissa and it's jackie the twins here to bring you another creepy ass story and we are continuing the true crime today we have a new theme and well i guess it's not really a theme we have two special episodes for you guys Yeah, and Jackie and I, I don't believe we've ever done this. We have each, I remember each of us did a two-part episode, How Can I Forget About Roland. Roland, Oh my god. (laughs) That still, honestly, might be my favorite story. And not just because I did it. Like, that story is messed up, but it also is so crazy. No, that's one of my favorites. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, go back to the Roland Petra episode. It was a two-parter that Jackie did. Yeah. If you, we won't say anything more, but it's like insanity. Yeah, one of my literally actual insanity. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes that we've done. But today we did the didn't we do the Fox Hollow Farm? We did the crimes and then the ghost stuff. Oh my gosh, that was like seriously one of our first episodes that we've ever. That was pretty iconic too. That guy pissed on everything. (laughs) Oh my god, why was he literally? pissing on everything cereal pisser (laughs) (laughs) oh my god anyway um yeah so basically jackie and i i am going to be telling part one of this little tale today jackie is going to be telling part two and this is also kind of a special little episode because we wanted to do something together since Last week was our 100th episode. We thought it would be only fitting for the two of us to, you know, do a little twin two-part episode. A little twin tale. And this also ties into Mother's Day. It's kind of sad to say, obviously, because we're talking about a true crime case. But it does tie into Mother's Day and just, like, a mother's love, what she would do for her children, and at the same time, what children would do for their mother. so Like the unbreakable bond between mother and children and just that indescribable type of like love and connection. That's the good thing we can talk about in our stories. Yes. So let me just get on into it. I will be telling part one. Jackie will be telling part two. And we are going to be talking today about the story of Marlene Oaks. And this is an OG episode of Forensic Files. This is the first time I heard this case. I believe it's also on Cold Case Files. Um, Yeah. So you might have seen it. You might be familiar. It's a really good episode of Forensic Files, too, though. It definitely is. And 
This story took place in 1980, but it centers around a couple named Marlene and Bill Major. Marlene, maiden name Oaks, and (sighs) this couple. So (laughs) let's just take it back to the beginning. Marlene was born Helen Marlene Oaks on December 7th, 1955. She obviously went by her middle name Marlene instead of Helen. And when Marlene was just 16 years old, she married a man named Bill Major. William Alexander Major, went by his nickname Bill, was born January 6th, 1944. So he was 11 years older than Marlene. Now, I know it was a different time and everything like that. It would have been more common, I guess, for someone to be married younger. I still just think it's weird for a 27-year-old man to marry a 16-year-old girl. Yeah, it's weird because, honestly, think of your mindset compared to being 16 to 27. Hell no. For both ages. Like, what? Yeah, it's strange to me, but, and... Like, I don't even want to think about the people I liked when I was 16. Oh my god. First of all. No. Jesus. Anyway, yeah, so I just already, it was like red flag number one, waving little tiny red flag number one. But that was definitely way more common. Common. Yeah, but what wasn't so common and wave little red flag number two is that Bill's family... Everyone basically described Bill as being a charmer, meaning he was manipulative. He could definitely talk to people. He could charm women. He could talk you into things, things like that. But at the same time, he was manipulative and he was known to lie pretty often. I don't think he, you know, I don't think he was like one of those people where he had a lying problem where he would just tell you something that wasn't true at all. I think it was just one of those things that he would say anything to win you over just so he could have you. He has a silver tongue. Exactly. So not necessarily who you want your 16 year old daughter to marry, but he wasn't totally unfavorable. He did have his own business. He had an auto garage that was set up on his property, so he worked as a mechanic, fixing cars. Where they lived, I'm sorry, I don't even know if I said this, they lived in a rural town in Kentucky, and where they lived, it was close to I-75, so Bill ended up fixing a lot of cars that broke down on the highway and travelers coming through, so he did have his own job, his own little career on his property, in Verona, Kentucky. I guess not. He's not totally horrible on the outside. But let me just say, we know a lot nowadays about grooming, but I find it interesting that they have this age gap and he's also naturally manipulative because that's one of the big things about grooming is manipulating that's a very the good younger point. person. So not that he is you know, grooming her or something like that, but it's just made me think that. Yeah, a little weird. I I agree with you. And I guess from Marlene's standpoint and her family's standpoint, you'd be like, he's a man with a nice job. And what are you missing out on? I guess. Yeah. Like he looks good on paper. Right. And this is like Verona, Kentucky. It's very rural. 
I believe Forensic Files said that Verona specifically had 500 people living in it. Slim pickets. Yeah, I swear they said that, like, quote-unquote, the center of town was, like, two intersections. That's how rural it was there. Damn. Yeah. Marlene and Bill lived in a small trailer. They ended up having two children, a boy named Donald, and then followed with a girl named Lalana. Love that name. Me too. Marlene was a petite woman with blonde shoulder-length hair, really cute features. Bill was tall with dark hair, rough features, but he had these really striking light blue eyes. And on the surface, they just appeared to be a beautiful young couple living in this small town. Everything seemed perfect. But as we know, that's how all these stories start, basically. Verona is a pretty small conservative town, and... Before you know it, well, it was actually about, I think, 10 years into their marriage before they started to run into troubles and there were some rumors going about the small town. And rumors were that Bill and Marlene were not the happy couple that they appeared to be. I don't know if nine years brought them apart or what, but it all started when a man named George St. Hilaire had broken down on I-75 when he was traveling from Ohio to Texas. I don't really have a lot on George. I don't know where he was from. I don't know why he was traveling from Ohio to Texas. Either way, George had gone to Bill's auto shop when he had broken down And for some reason or another, George actually ended up working at Bill's shop and staying in a small trailer that was located on his property. Interesting. Well, maybe he was just like, I don't know, work for a bit while you fix my car. It's almost funny, too, because it's the 70s, late 70s going into the 80s. And only I feel like only in this time would you be able to just meet someone get your car fixed, get a job, and get a small trailer on their property in just (laughs) one meeting. I guess, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I wish things were that simple, but... I know. (laughs) So either way, like I said, I don't have a ton of background on George. And they didn't either. (laughs) Yeah, clearly they didn't. I don't know how that came to be, but that is the situation that ended up happening. George started working at the auto shop with Bill and lived in a small trailer on their property. And I'm sure you guys can guess where this is going. George begins living on Bill and Marlene's property. He gets closer to the two of them, gets to know them, everything like that. And eventually George and Marlene start to have a romantic and sexual affair. However, friends and family of the Majors would later tell police that Bill knew of the affair between George and Marlene, and he actually encouraged the affair. What? We don't have any, like, direct quotes. There weren't any friends that came forward and said, yeah, Bill told me he encouraged the affair because of this. But a friend of theirs in the Forensic Files episode said that he believed Bill encouraged the affair because... Bill also was having his own affairs, specifically had a girlfriend, and no longer was interested in Marlene, so he kind of just wanted someone to, like, keep her company while he could go have a girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, clearly the couple are not on the same page anymore. It's sad because they do have young children and they've been together for almost a decade, but they're just not 
clearly not in love where they want to have a monogamous relationship still. And the couple started to fight very frequently. Because hmm. I was going to say, maybe they just have like an open relationship and it's all good. No, they don't. I thought that too. Maybe they could just have an open relationship. but Even though it's not really the fits the time frame, but it could happen. But I don't think that's uh, what was occurring. Well, things are about to get a whole lot worse. Trigger warnings, people. Because in 1980, Marlene, and we know all of this because Marlene kept a journal. She journaled almost every single day. And her journals played a very large part in this case and did provide evidence. In the journals, Marlene wrote that in 1980, I think in the fall, she walked in on Bill molesting their nine-year-old son, which obviously shocked and disgusted her. She was very shaken by it. And she wrote in her diary, quote, I know what I saw. I told him not to touch me ever again, and if he touches Donald, I'll kill him. I could be the biggest whore to walk the streets of Verona, and no judge would dare to give him custody of my kids before me. End quote. Yikes. Yeah. When Marlene saw what had happened, whatever was going on between Bill and Donald, it was like immediately, I am leaving you, I'm filing for a divorce, and there was no talking about it. There's no, we're going to make it work. Nothing. She was done and mom of the year for that. I mean, I could not imagine hearing like a lot of the times a child speaks up when they're being sexually abused. I could not imagine seeing it with your own eyes. Like it truly would be hard not to lash out at them in that moment. Yeah, and it's clear by her diary, she was just disgusted with Bill at this point. And I also saw online that apparently in the Cold Case Files episode, I didn't have a chance to watch it, but apparently they mentioned that Bill had also been charged with molesting young boys in 1975. But, like, I don't know the circumstances of that because he still would have been with Marlene at that time. Hmm. I'm not sure, but either way, there are claims that he had done things like this in the past, and Marlene just wanted out at this point, and obviously. Who wouldn't? Yep. Marlene continued to write in her journal about her plans to leave Bill, take her kids somewhere new, and just start over again. So as Marlene starts to plan her future without Bill, she kind of quietly tells friends and family what's going on. And Bill, on the other hand, is telling his friends and family that if Marlene tries to leave him, he would kill her. Not only that, Bill told friends that if she tried to leave, he would kill Marlene, cut off her head, remove her teeth, so that if the head was found, it would be unidentifiable. That's really specific. Basically, no body, no crime. He's telling his friends, I could commit this perfect murder. And, you know, I don't know if... I think the friends at the time just kind of thought that he was bitching and that he wasn't serious. But the two keep arguing and Marlene started to pick up on Bill's behavior and she started to get worried that if she left, he would get violent. Clearly, she was right because he's saying all of this to his friends. 
Marlene spoke to Bill about the situation and her plans to leave him. And she, she basically said, I'll file for divorce. I'll have custody of the kids and I won't make the abuse public or what I saw public. If we can just settle this quietly, I'll take the kids and I'll leave. If Bill, if you don't want to sign the divorce papers, then I will tell your family about the child abuse and I will make it public. So clearly things are just getting pretty volatile between the couple. It's very Bill versus Marlene kind of. And as much as it could have just been easily, they got the divorce papers and Bill went quietly. He didn't. He was very bitter about what Marlene was doing. On October 11th, 1980, things escalated once again between Bill and Marlene. Marlene called her sister early in the day, telling her that she had enough of Bill and that she was completely unhappy in the marriage. Marlene also told her sister about Bill's abuse on Donald and said that she had proof that Bill had been molesting their son. Which is disgusting. Like, what can that even be? I don't even want to know. It's so foul. But Marlene told her sister that she kept the proof somewhere safe where her husband would never find it. And she didn't even want to say where it was over the phone. Wow. I know. This is in 1980 when phones, you know, went before when it's this day and age when you think anyone could be listening. That's the level of paranoid she was. Yeah. Marlene had also decided to give her diaries with all of the information to George, who she was still seeing, and she told George and her sister that if anything were to happen to her, it would be at Bill's hand, and they could find basically the cause of what had happened in her diaries. This is so serious. Like, if if that were you, I would be pissing every night. Like, I would be so uncomfy of you being in the home. Yeah. And I think for Marlene, she's in this really hard spot where I think she was really frightened of Bill, but at the same time, she was just hoping that he would sign the papers quietly. She wouldn't have to go to police because if she does go to police, she kind of has to tell them. Yeah, why she's scared. Exactly. So she's just put in this really hard spot. And if I bet you any money, if she like moved in with someone else, I I know in some states if you move out and you're married, that's considered like abandonment of the home and your stuff. So that can also put you in a probably just put her in a bad position where she felt like she couldn't leave, but she knew something bad was coming. Very good point. I didn't even think about that. That same night on October 11th, Bill and Marlene got into a second heated argument. Marlene called her sister again that night and was telling her that they were in this superheated fight and she was very upset by what was going on. The fight later became so intense that George, who also was living on the property, left around midnight so that he would no longer hear it and just get some peace from the two of them. Okay, I understand that, but also, like, she told you that... Mm-hmm. And George, since he still lived on the property, I'm pretty sure he also had spoken to Bill, who said that he wanted to kill Marlene. Yikes. I mean, he's also in a rough position, though, too. Yeah. what's he going to do? Just go up and knock on the door? I don't right. know. I mean, I don't know if at that point you could call the cops for, like, disturbances and things like that. 
Yeah, it's much easier said than done because he's and in the one, hindsight, and he's the one living on their property. It's yeah, just, working for him. Yeah. So George decides to leave. He leaves around midnight, and when he returns around three a.m., he just notices that the trailer looked chaotic. I don't know if he could see inside or if he could just tell by like the way things were arranged, but he could just tell that the fight had clearly continued and escalated. So George, he sees the chaotic trailer. He sees Bill outside at 3 a.m. and he just is thinking, what the hell? Something doesn't seem right. George goes over to talk to Bill and Bill is alone. Marlene's truck is no longer there. And when George asks what was going on, Bill explained that their fighting was so intense that Marlene left and took the kids with her. And he basically is already painting this picture that Marlene like abducted his children and kind of like that. And George at this point did believe Bill because Marlene had told him shortly before that she was planning to leave and take the kids. So he just thought, okay, she left for the night. You know, it seems like it would line up. But why was he outside? I don't know. Like, that's what doesn't fit in that little scenario. Like, okay, then, like, why are you not in your home? To cooling off. Yeah, yeah I don't know. To cool off. Sorry. To cool off. <laughs> He's like a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) Cold off for a while and then he can be put back in the home. Oh my god, I'm dead. (laughs) Basically, yeah, I don't I honestly don't know. And I'm like, imagine pulling into it's dark and you're in a rural area and you just see Bill out there at three AM in front of this chaotic trailer. Just creepy. And you're having an affair with his wife who's no longer there. Yeah, but he didn't give a fuck. I know. It's just like that probably makes George feel even more uncomfortable, though. True. He's probably like, oh my God. Like, am I uh, nuts? yeah. And yeah, I mean, at that point, George was kind of just like, okay, I think this is weird, but I'm not. What else can he do? Marlene's yeah, truck is gone. Yeah, what am I going to say? Yeah, Marlene's truck is gone and the kids are gone. So he's kind of just like, I mean, all right, man. So two days after he had spoken to Bill, George ran into a neighbor close to the property and the neighbor actually had told George that the two children, Donna and Lalana, were dropped off at their house the night of Marlene's when she was last seen. And another neighbor told George that Bill stopped by randomly and gave them a lot of firearms that he owned and was asking them about buying some property from him because he wanted to return to his home state of Rhode Island, but didn't explain why. That's not sus. And literally left the kids at the neighbor's house for two days. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. When George hears all of this, he just knows something is wrong. Bill is lying and something had to have happened to Marlene. George knew that Marlene would never leave her children alone, and especially considering how tumultuous their relationship was with Bill, she would never just leave and be fine with them being at the neighbor's for two days. With all of that, George called the police, told them everything, and said that he was very worried about Marlene and what could have happened to her. It's disputed whether Bill called the police at all. I read in one article that he did, and 
I read in another article that he didn't call at all. And George was, I don't know if maybe George was the first person, but either way, it's still sad. Like George is calling in more concern than Bill, her own husband. Yeah. And I mean, his story was ass from the minute that George showed up and he said that Marlene took the kids because Mm -hmm. you already, you lied to the, the only person that could have given you some sort of alibi. Yeah. I don't know if he just thought because the car was gone that people would believe him. I have no idea, but a few days after Marlene was last seen, police came to the major property and did their own investigation And early on, things seemed to be strange. It wasn't just this runaway case. And the first thing that made them believe that was that Marlene's truck was missing, but her driver's license and all of her belongings were at home, and her medication was at home, and all of her clothes. So, if she had ran away, she took literally nothing with her. And I don't believe that she took any cash or had cards. Police definitely doubted Bill's story that Marlene just left town. He was still saying, you know, she left in the heat of an argument. And at first they were like, maybe. But then after they saw that her belongings were there and everything, they just thought, no. Why would Marlene just abandon her kids when the whole reason that they were fighting was because of what was going on with the kids and stuff? Yeah, makes no sense. Police decided to search the property for any traces of Marlene They found nothing. They also searched through town and local areas to see if she was just hanging out somewhere, but they still found nothing. George gave police the diaries that Marlene had given him, and they started to go through the diaries. The police did read everything about the marriage between Bill and Marlene, Marlene and George's relationship, and sadly, they also read about the abuse of Donald Police, they clearly are thinking that the abuse of Donald played into the disappearance. I mean, how could you not? Not only are they so similar in timing, it was like the whole reason for the... Separation. Yeah, basically them going to get a divorce. Exactly. But police knew that the journal wouldn't be enough to... It wouldn't even be enough to arrest Bill, let alone to get a conviction, because you just know that a defense attorney would say that the diaries proved how unhappy Marlene and mm-hmm. was, and she could have ran away. Or they could just say it's her word against his, and if he says, no, I didn't, you know, just, you can't just use a diary with someone's word to fully arrest and convict someone else. Yeah, I get it. At this point, police are thinking Bill and George are the two main suspects that had to be one of them. First of all, they both had a relationship with Marlene, and they both live on the property where she was last seen. Who's to say either of their stories are accurate? Maybe they're in on something together. Police don't know. Police asked both Bill and George to come down to the station for a good old polygraph test. And guess which one of them had a huge issue with that? Hmm, I don't think it was George. Exactly. Bill, at that point, becomes very uncooperative, and he denied taking any sort of polygraph test, and he never went down to the station again. A few days after he denied taking the polygraph test, police got word that Bill had packed up his remaining belongings and moved with his children to Rhode Island. Hmm, that's not sus. Yeah, and police learned that in the days prior, he just was slowly selling off all of his big-ticket belongings that he could for more money, 
And he left the trailer so abruptly that the family dog was still there. (laughs) I know. I imagine someone took care of the dog because, like, George was still on that property. But still, people are just saying, like, that just shows how fast he left and how he really just didn't care. You're just uprooting your kids' lives. You don't care. And he moves them back to Rhode Island. I feel like he's, like, a psychopath or, like, a sociopath or something. It seems like he has absolutely no emotions for the children, anyone except himself. Yeah, and you'll have to confirm in part two, but I'm pretty sure, too, in one article I read, they definitely said that the city he moved into was a crime-ridden city when they were living in, like, rural Verona, Kentucky. He moves them to a city. It just really, he didn't care. It's just horrible. Bill packs up everything, takes And the first kids. of all, sorry, let me just say this. And first of all, that is something that I feel like people say a lot when a family member goes missing is that they don't want to move because if the person came back, they're going to go to their home. So it's just like, why would you move? If she would ever come back, she would have no way to find you or the kids. Girl, I didn't even think about and that. And it's the 80s. She can't just call. Like You have your investigative cap on right now girl i am so i am an investigative cat because i am so into this story like i want to be like prosecuted myself (laughs) like i'm just so into it oh my god sherlock holmes literally sherry holmes (laughs) charlene holmes (laughs) like marlene yeah oh girl yeah i'm dead (laughs) so Yeah, Bill just picks up everything, takes the kids, relocates to Rhode Island in late 1980, like literally two months after Marlene went missing. And by 1981, Bill already found a new woman and got married. Sure, let me just put my children through even more trauma from uprooting them from their lives right after their mother went missing. Yeah, not even a year later, less than a year later. And... Mm. This is where the story could have ended if it wasn't for a few very brave individuals who had the heart to stand up for what is right and some people that you wouldn't really expect. But Jackie is going to tell us more about that in part two. She's going to tell us about Lalana's journey and the fight for justice for her mother as well as what happened when Bill found a new wife and got remarried. So... You guys will have to, yeah, come back for that. Um, Yeah, I'm going to stop in here, and I'll let Jackie take the reins next time. That was a good place to stop, though, because this story really, I feel like, is, like, not two separate stories, but the same story from two separate eyes. Yeah, two separate time periods, too, because Mm -hmm. Lalana's a child when this happened, and obviously she's not going to solve this case when she's nine, so clearly... There was some growing up to do and some updates with forensic investigations and whatnot. So I do agree with you that this was the perfect case to do in one part. And Jackie will jump forward in a couple of years and keep it going. Next I time. will. So thank you guys for listening to part one of our story on Marlene Oaks. Definitely come back for part two because Jackie will tell you what happened to Marlene and how what happened to the kids and how justice was served you won't want to miss it definitely come back and stay tuned and as always thank you guys so much for listening we hope you guys are having a great spring and staying safe as always 
And we will see you guys next time for another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy. Ew. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast or send us an email at Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.